This message first aired on the radio on September 4, 2003. We're studying the dispensation of law, and we summarize, hopefully in some kind of an acceptable way, the book of Joshua, so that we could see the beginning of that dispensation of law, which Israel born in Egypt, under Moses, then Joshua, Moses and Joshua kind of a tandem. One came, and then a greater one came. Moses working signs and wonders. Joshua working some signs and wonders. We didn't really look at the signs and wonders, the sun standing still, that followed uh, Joshua. But that's a theme in Scripture that we could come back to at some point. But uh, we really are breaking the dispensation of law into four pieces, and we could break it into five. There is a transitional piece at the end, but we're looking at four pieces, really. The inaugural piece, which is Israel under Moses, really the birth of Israel, we might say, the birth of Israel under Moses and Joshua. We might find its childhood, we might say, the childhood under the judges. And there are 12 judges of Israel, okay? If you count them all out, there's 13. But one of them is a usurper. One of them is not really a judge, and we're going to look at that, so we won't give too much detail at this point. But that's the, we might say, the infancy. So we have the birth of Israel, then the infancy of Israel, or the childhood. But then Israel moves and transitions in unbelief, of course, because Israel is always in unbelief, except for a few, faithful remnant. That's a principle that God has. God is always faithful. God's people are always unfaithful, except a few. There's a remnant. According to there's a remnant even today, according to grace. Not all Israel has rejected the Messiah. There are still a, some few, a remnant according to grace, who do accept the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and come under the blessedness of his blood. And so there is, we look at the history of Israel, there's always a faithful remnant, but the vast majority demonstrate their unfaithfulness, and that will be true today in our study as we take up the period of the judges. And then Israel really reaches its zenith. We might say it reaches its highest point during the period of the kings. In unbelief, they want a king. God being faithful to bring through their unbelief, still bring his will through, which he does. He brings a king reaching its zenith, perhaps at the end of David's reign with Solomon. There's a spiritual zenith with David. There's an actual temporal zenith with Solomon. And that, we might say, is the adult, the beginning of the adult life of Israel, and that's the third phase. And then the fourth phase of Israel, of course, is Israel in disobedience, in division, Israel, and therefore the Lord brings captivity. And so we have Israel in captivity where they're under, really, the prophets. So we have, we have Moses and Joshua, then we have the judges, then we have the kings, and then, really, we have the prophets in captivity. We have Ezekiel, Daniel. We have Jeremiah, we have Isaiah the prophet, and we have the so-called minor prophets who are not minor in any way, and we might call them the shorter prophets or the prophets who wrote less. And then we have, so that's the four phases, and then we have the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, which time on earth before the church, which is his body, is a transitional period, and that's going to give us some difficulty, and we're going to take some time trying to sort that out. But these are all a wonderful order of Scripture. Today, we take up the period of the judges, of the judges. Now, we got a little problem right off the top because it's called they're called judges. And when we think of a judge, like when I think of a judge today, I think of this heroic and brave man, this brother in the Lord, Roy Moore in Alabama, and I think, well, what a, what a hero he is. And I like the way that our brother is a hero there in Alabama. I like the way that he's a hero. He's not doing some great thing. 
He's not doing some great, unusual act. He's a hero, like in my mind, at least, like the heroes of the faith. And the Lord will, will judge him, and we'll finally know if the Lord considers him a servant who's doing well. I'm not qualified to judge that he's doing well or poorly, and I won't try to evaluate that, but he's a hero to me at this time because he's doing something that so few of us really do. And do you know what that is, friend? Christian friend, do you know what God calls you to do? He calls you just to stand. Just to stand. Just to hold fast the faith. The content of the faith that Judge Moore is holding, for example, is very little. Very little. He's saying, look, I mean, the law is based on the Ten Commandments. I mean, obviously, the moral law, we're indebted to the Ten Commandments, and the law is the law. And look at our Declaration of Independence, for example. Look at our Constitution. I mean, God, law, that's an obvious thing. And he's just standing on, really, the most obvious kind of truth. I don't crit- I'm don't. i not criticizing him for that. I'm just saying he's standing for something. And, brother, that's all God wants you to do, sister. Just stand. Arm yourself. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand. You've got to realize, of course, that you're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. You've got to realize that first. Then you've got to realize that as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, and that God has a plan for your life, and that he has promised you that he has good works for you to walk in. Now, you don't have to go discover. You don't have to run into him. You just have to walk every day. Walk in faith. How do we walk? We walk the way we receive Christ, by grace through faith. And then it will happen. You will be engaged in a spiritual war. The mere desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will bring about tribulation, will bring about persecution in your life. The thlipsis that the Lord Jesus Christ knew every moment, the pressurization of the enmity of this world that hated the Lord Jesus Christ and as servants of him were not above our master, will hate us. These problems will come along, and then God calls us merely to stand. So having done all, therefore stand. Having done all to stand, stand. And so this brother's standing. I'm not of a mind. I don't believe God wants me to go down to Alabama and stand with him, but I can stand with him at the throne of grace. We can pray for him. And don't think that does nothing. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. The, The sincerity of your heart for this man toward God means a lot in the heavenly places. And that's another thing that, as Christians, we can do, as people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do things that other people can't do because we can freely enter into the highest heaven, the throne of grace, by a new and living way, by a way as if the Lord Jesus Christ just now died for our sins. That's how powerful his blood is. And we can come on the basis of the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we can pray, and therefore we can bring to bear spiritual war, spiritual against the wicked spirits in the heavenly places, after all, who are behind all that. Okay, so now we're in the book of Judges, and we were talking about Judges, and that brought to mind uh, Judge Moore, and that brought to mind those brothers who are standing around the world that we can remember and pray for. And we don't pray on this show in public. This is not, uh, we believe in a public prayer, but in the context of the church, but we preach in public. We pray in private and keep that principle in mind, would you? Now, we talk about judges. We have the book of judges. And if we're not careful, we'll think that judges are judges like we have who are jurists, 
But that's not really what this word, the, the Hebrew word, means here for the word judges. What it really means is a leader or a savior. We might even call it this. We might even call it a liberator. That would be one good rule or one good word to use instead of judges, the book of the liberators. Or we might call them just their rulers or leaders. God raises up, and this is a principle that God does. God raises up leaders. God never leaves himself without a witness, and God never leaves himself without a leader. Now, the leaders that God raises up are not the leaders that men raise up. I think we will see that when we look at kings where men wanted Saul because he was like a seven-footer. He was tall, head and shoulders taller than where we get the phrase head and shoulders above. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. But here now we have the leaders that the Lord raises up, and we may not like the ones that the Lord raises up. We may find problems with them, but that doesn't matter because God is the one who raises them up. And woe be it to you if God has raised somebody up and it's God's man that you don't like because really you're not going to like God. You might you might happily find yourself fighting against God, like uh, Gamaliel says in the in the book of Acts. Now we're only going to look really at four of the judges, and we pick the four that are laid out for us in the book of Hebrews, and those four are Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. And it's interesting in the book of Hebrews that that's the order in which they're given, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, when in fact we find a reversal. If we go through the book of Judges, we'll find Barak first, and Gideon follows Barak. But the book of Hebrews mentions really, and I'd say that it's in pairs, it really has kind of a, we might call it a kind of a weaker guy sandwich. We have the bread of Gideon and the bread of Jephthah on the outside, and then we have the well, I, can't, I don't really want to call them ham and cheese. These are Jewish fellows, but we might say that we have the uh, roast beef and bologna on the inside. We've got Barak and Samson, both of who are judges and both of who are named and both who have become faithful men despite their problems. And their problems are the same problems, those two fellows. They're the same problem. Well, you say, well, what's that? Well, they both have a woman problem. They both have a woman problem. They have different kind of women problems, but they both have women problems. And hopefully we'll look at that and spend a little time on it, because as a preacher, I get the opportunity to go ahead and drill down on little characteristics as they come along in the Scripture. And I know the state, at least, of a number of people with whom I associate, and I have uh, some experience knowing the state of Christians, and it's time for us to talk about what a real guy is and what a real woman is. Or let's just say what God wants us to be. But I get ahead of myself. I'm going to look at Judges chapter 2 here for a minute, and we'll read. And we'll see how this period lays out for us. Of course, we skip, when we try to summarize a book, we skip so much important stuff. And just keep reminding you of that. But we see, we'll start with verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. They went to do that, but they didn't do it. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. 
And isn't that the problem? That is the problem. That is the problem. Paul to Timothy, the things thou hast heard and seen from me before many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. So what does it take? For the faith to go from one generation to the next generation, it takes that most precious commodity, which is so hard to find, it takes a faithful man. You say, I want to be a faithful man. Look, if you've, been, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new nature, and when we talk about that subject, there is some voice in you, there is something answering in you in that new nature that says, I want to be a faithful man. Well, that now, you need to flame that fire. You need to feed it some oxygen, get some wind in there, get some spirit in there, get the Word of God in there, and flame that little fire. And remember that he that is faithful in little is also faithful in much, and begin being faithful in little things. And don't worry about what men think. Worry about what God thinks. Show yourself approved unto God, a workman needing not be ashamed. And God will test you in small things, and he will give to you then the true riches as you are faithful. So here's the problem. They didn't know the Lord or the works that he had done. And the children of evil, Judges Judges chapter 2, verse 11, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Now they, found the, they found the God of the Gentiles around them and served him instead. And, of course, there are many gods that the Gentiles have because there's a whole, there's a whole plethora there's a whole array of wicked spirits uh, all under Satan who are happy uh, to receive the worship of men and even desirous to. And they forsook the Lord God, verse 12, of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Oh, and there's Ashtaroth. What a disgusting what a disgusting form of idolatry that is. When, when, when the Bible compares idolatry to adultery, when the Bible compares idolatry to whoring, it's a figure of speech. But not only is it a figure of speech, because the, 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 the reason that we choose religion instead of faith in Christ, the reason we choose religion is so that we can have sex, money, and power. And oftentimes in that order, in this, uh, they serve Balaam and Ashtaroth, that, that thing of Ashtaroth was mostly about sex. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Now that's that's the fact. Idolatry leads to failure before your enemies. I'm reminded, I, I want to say it was, uh, not, uh, maybe it was Julian Huxley. Now the name escapes me, which Huxley it was. I'm sure it was, if any, it was him. Who, who uh, uh, but in any case, uh, a scientist of days gone by who had bought into the lie of Darwinian evolution came back around and said it we all knew it was false nobody really believes it nobody no scientist can really believe it and they asked him well why do people believe it then and he said well because we needed to throw off uh christian faith so that we could have all the sex we wanted interesting yeah that's great minds will even do that 
You think there were no great minds in Israel that chased after Baal and Ashtaroth? Of course, great minds fomented the, the uh, and, and, and articulated the rationale for doing so. Verse 15, Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Now that was what happened in Israel. Look, the Lord won't have you to be neutral. You, if you're, if you're uh, God's people, first of all, God commands you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, this is not like you've got a good alternative or you've got some option that is just as good with God. God commands you. He used to wink at the kind of ignorance that you're buying into, but he doesn't wink at it anymore. He's got his eyes wide open on it, like Acts 17 says. And he commands all men everywhere to change their mind and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not no no one is is uh, we beseech you, but God commands you. I beseech you to receive Christ so that you won't go to the to the lake of fire, the devil and his angels. But God's not busy beseeching you, except through me. He's commanding you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you do, then now you either are in the Lord's cause, or he's against you, or he's against you. I mean, it's not just a neutral position you can take. You can say, well, that brother, he preaches about fighting and everything. He can go ahead and do that, and I'm not going to stop him. Well, listen, uh, God doesn't give his people this neutral position they can be in. They either fight, or he's against them. He's not for them. As they go into idolatry, he is becomes their enemy. It isn't really that they just face their enemies on the basis of 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 now the flesh who's stronger but God actually is against them and now they become greatly distressed that's verse 15 judges 2 nevertheless and here's the grace of God verse 16 nevertheless the lord raised up judges or leaders or rulers however we want to call them deliverers really he he raises up del- uh, uh, judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them but they would not hearken unto their judges, but went a-whoring after other gods. And that, there's that phrase, went a-whoring, and that's no kidding. Uh, went, a, went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them and turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. So they did not follow the way of their fathers. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for it repented the Lord because of their groanings and by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Now, let me say that this is what the Hebrew scriptures say about the Hebrew people. That is evidence that this is an inspired word. Who would write such a history about themselves? Only God would write such an honest history. And in fact, when we look at the book of Judges, it's summarized in the very last verse of the book, where it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that is exactly by the way, what the public schools teach today, that is exactly the popular religion of the day today here in our midst. Whatever you think is right, do whatever you think is right. It's up to you. Whatever you think is right is right. 
You can think something's right. Keep that to yourself. Don't put that on me. And that is the time of the judges. And, of course, what would happen here is God would raise up a judge. The judge would deliver them. The judge would die. The next generation would come in, and the children of Israel would turn away and go right back to the same old sins they always do. And God raised up these judges. And and, and here's what God said he would do. In, in verse 21 of Judges uh, 2, or verse 20, it says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this people has transgressed my covenant, I, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So God specifically left the enemies of Israel, and these are the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, these, the the, the, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. He left these in the land of Israel. He left them enemies to prove them. Now the Lord Jesus Christ has done that exact same thing with you, my Christian brother or sister. He defeated Satan at the cross of Christ. He made an open show. It was obvious. He, it was obvious in the heavens Satan's a defeated foe. The Lord Jesus Christ did that in his death, burial, and resurrection. But he left those wicked spirits under Satan in the heavens to prove us during this present time and uh, to see if we would be faithful, not to see if we would have faith, but to see if we would be faithful. And he's given every provision. Uh, he's given every provision for us to get a victory, but we must fight. And, uh, of course, this book of Judges, a marvelous thing to study, uh, this period in the life of Israel, a marvelous thing to look at, because this is where we can find out if we will avail ourselves of the power uh, that God has given to us. So the, the question is where the power is. The power is in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, everything that we need for life and godliness provided in him, and uh, the warfare, will you conduct it? Well, the children of Israel wouldn't. They went from generation to generation, and they would not conduct the war that God gave them to conduct. Well, we're back. We're looking at the book of Judges, and we see what God is going to do. He's going to raise up a series of judges. He's going to deliver the children of Israel. When the, he delivers the children of Israel, they're going to appreciate his deliverance. They're going to turn away from their idolatry. And then that judge is going to give them peace. They're going to, and then he's going to die. And when that one dies, they're going to turn right back to their same old idolatry. And they're going to continue doing this time and time again. And what we learn from that is that the old flesh just doesn't die. In fact, we get worse and worse. And that's something, by the way, my Christian brother, that you need to understand about yourself, that the Bible will teach you about yourself so that you won't be puzzled and surprise yourself with your sudden unfaithfulness and with your inclina and your continued inclination towards sin. Because the problem that the believer has today, 
is that there are two natures at war inside of himself. And if you won't conduct a spiritual war, if you do not have the ascendancy of that new man in your life, in other words, if you're not fueling him, if you're not uh, submitting yourself, being filled with the will of God, if you're not inclined to read the Scriptures and to feed that new man the only food that he eats, which is the word of life, you will see the ascendancy of that old man, and not only will you find out that you're doing the same old things you always did, but actually you're getting worse and worse. And I like to say from the pulpit a couple of things. The worst thing in the world, I think, that can happen to a man is that he becomes a wicked old man. The second worst thing that can happen to a man is that he becomes a foolish old man. But those, I think, are phases. I think that if, you're, if you don't live gracefully, if you don't live on the grace of God, you don't grow old gracefully. You, then you grow old foolishly, and you start out as a foolish man, and God forbid you can end up a wicked old man. And unhappily, we have generations now of foolish old men and even wicked old men. In my own generation, I'm in my 50s, my own generation is certainly marked by foolish old men and also by wicked old men. And God deliver us from ourselves as he delivered the children of Israel. And what did the children of Israel do? Well, they dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves, or the Asherim, those obnoxious, phallic symbols of their moral turpitude which, by the way, proliferate everywhere in our own country. These symbols, these uh, Asherah, translated groves in the Scripture, but these Asherim, these awful symbols of fecundity. And let me now say this, that I'll uh, dwell a little bit here on Judges 3, verse 6. It says, They took their daughters to be their wives. Now, the children of Israel lived around these heights. They were supposed to destroy them. They didn't. Pretty soon they lived around them, and they got along with them. And this is exactly what happens today, not to Israel, which is set aside, but this is what happens to Christian people, even though we're commanded in 1 Corinthians 6, be not equally yoked together with unbelievers. Even though the Apostle Paul did not even allow liberty for himself to marry an unbeliever, he said he, is a, he was free to lead about a sister wife only in the Lord. And yet today, what's happening, I talk about foolish people my age, what I see going on is, uh, well, we'll call it maybe shotgun salvations, but their children marry the unbelievers around them. And of course, there's a twofold problem there, threefold, I could say there's a threefold problem. The first fold of that problem is that the brotherhood of Christian men is destroyed. It is systematically destroyed by the enemy. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to destroy the brotherhood and the fellowship of Christian men. In fact, Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue, and our enemy says, let's not have brotherly love. And so what the enemy does, he does a famous old trick, divide and conquer. He divides Christian brethren, and I say especially, he divides off Christian men. And he isolates us, and we don't have the fellowship and the camaraderie and the brotherhood that God would have us to have. So we fail to lead our homes because we don't have other men 
busy working at the same thing, being the leaders in their home, commanding children after them. We don't nurture the atmosphere, even though the church is supposed to be entirely a nurturing ground for the atmosphere of men to be men and to be leaders in their home. We lose that. The church ends up becoming something else, some kind of bad entertainment center. And I, yeah, hey, listen, I like music. You can tell I play it on the show here. I like the music I have. But what do we do? We get bad music. We get very little preaching. Preaching goes from an hour down to 45 minutes, down to 25 minutes, even 20 minutes. And a 20-minute preaching just isn't much. You do a story. You do a close. You got about 11 minutes. And that's not enough. So the fellowship of brothers is destroyed. That's the first fold. Then the second is it, we're isolated and we're not working together to lead our homes. And then the second fold of the enemy's device comes in, and that is we, for the children's sake, for the children, we have our children begin to mingle with the lost. Maybe we send them away to school. That's the number one way to get them messed up with unbelievers. Uh, Send them off to school where they mingle with the unbelievers, where they're taught it's not a problem. And then they're already together, and we're like indulgent parents, like Samson's parents, and we want to let our children have whoever they found, believer or no. And now we just go out and advertise to our friends, well, that person just got saved, or that person is real open to the gospel. And the next thing you know, they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and then served their gods. Now notice, by the way, that it did not happen that the children of Israel took their daughters to be their daughters, in other words, married off their sons to these ite women, and the ite women came around to the faith. That didn't happen. The opposite happened. And it didn't happen that they gave their daughters to the son of the ites that lived around them, and that somehow now those sons got sensitive to the word of God and became believers. No, that didn't happen either. This is a principle. Evil spreads good does not. Evil spreads, good does not. That is why we are to maintain our separation. A soldier separates himself from the affairs of this life so that he may please the one that makes him a soldier. So we need to maintain separation from the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. Now, don't you let your daughters and sons date the lost. If they're open to the gospel, let's see them get saved. Let's see them get saved. Then they can marry your daughter. Now, I've married off two daughters. And, okay, I lost them. You know, a son is a son till he finds a wife, a daughter's a daughter for the rest of her life. Well, that's, you know, my daughters are out of my house. They're with my sons-in-law, my sons-in-law, men of God. My sons-in-law, men of God. And, okay, I'm not boasting about me. I'm just saying God will give you and your give your daughters men of God if you'll wait for them, if you'll ask for them. And he'll give your sons women of God if they'll wait and you'll wait for them. And you'll ask for them. He'll do that. And if they choose to go after the wrong kind of men or women, then the Christian who stands for something and won't just sit for anything, or as some say, won't fall for anything, You'll at least stand against them so that they'll know that you're not in approving association. Because the anger of the Lord tells us when they did this, 
the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years until they cried to the Lord. And then he raised up Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz, and he delivered them. And then the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kaz, and so Othniel, Caleb's younger brother, died, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice how God is actually strengthening the enemies of Israel. In one place, he tells the Philistines, You Philistines, be like men and fight. So God actually brings up these enemies and then raises up deliverers. You would think they'd learn, but they don't. And that's kind of the unhappy thing, is that you'd think they'd learn, but they don't. Now, my brother, my sister, don't you worry about what every single other Christian is going to do. Because every other person, every other single one, is not going to learn. We know that. We know that the dispensation that we're in will end in the same kind of failure that every dispensation enters in. But what is true for everyone is not true for you. And that's the wonderful thing. What was true for all of Israel was not true for Caleb, nor was it true for Joshua, nor was it true for Othniel, nor was it true for any unmentioned Israelite who paid attention to the Word of God. And it doesn't have to be true for you. The life of blessing... I don't care what condition you're in today. I don't care how badly you've done. The life of blessing is open and available to you right now. The grace of God is there. That's the wonderful thing about the grace of God. Well, we look here now in Joshua and Judges as we're going through. And remember, the Scripture wants us to look at, if we follow Hebrews, it wants us to look at Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and we're trying to get to that. But there's so many principles here to look at that are so relevant today that I'm just going to go ahead and take my time with this. But we look here now at the children of Israel. Again, they were delivered by others. We don't cover them all. God raises up Ahud and delivers them, and then he raises up Shamgar, the son of Anath, which delivers them. And then we come to Judges chapter 4, which says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ahud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Harasheth of the Gentiles. And now we're going to have story of two women. We're going to have the story of two women. We have the story of Deborah, who so many women today, uh, Christian women today, look up to Deborah, and how appropriate that is. How appropriate that is, that in the day that we live in, where we find Christian women unhappy to conduct the life of Christian women, how interesting it is that they select Deborah as one to follow. It tells us in Judges chapter 4, verse 4, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, judged Israel at that time. Now, if we count Deborah as one of the divinely appointed judges of Israel, then we come to 13 judges. If we count her as a usurper, we will come to 12 judges. So you tell me, I believe 
that we have an, a usurper here. And I also believe that we have a fine contrast between Deborah and J.L. Let me tell you, if I was going to name my daughter one of those two names, I would name her J.L. because J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite, was a great woman in Israel, and all the generations will call her blessed. She's the one that drives the tent peg through the head of Sisera. But I get ahead of myself, uh, J.L. Heber's wife, and I'm not going to talk too much about J.L. and Deborah today. I'm going to talk about Heber and Lapidoth. That's who I'm going to talk about. There's a couple of guys you don't hear about. Here especially is a guy you never hear about. Who ever heard of Lapidoth? Lapidoth is the husband of Deborah. And here he's named, and just as Heber is named, Jael's husband. But here's this guy, Lapidoth. And he's named, but where is he? Where is he? She's off with Barak. She's got herself a ministry going. She's got herself a ministry going. She's a leader among the children of Israel. She becomes a judge, a leader among Israel. And she even sings a song with Barak, wherein you'll see a lot of, by the way, egotism in that song. But the question is that I've asked, and that really demands an answer, is where is Lapidoth? And you know, Maybe that's what we should do today. Maybe we should start a thing called Lapidoth Ministries. Maybe that would go. First of all, we'd have to raise some funds for it. Lapidoth Ministries. This is a ministry to all the guys who aren't around. This is a ministry for all the brothers who let their wives loose on the rest of us. Lapidoth Ministries. It could be big. It could be huge. It could be bigger than the Promise Breakers. Promise Breakers should be the largest organization in Christian in the Christian world. But Lapidoth Ministries could be right there with it, because Lapidoth is a guy who let his wife loose on the rest of his brethren. He refused to be the head of his home. You know, the Scripture teaches us that we're to be the heads in our home. Married men, you're supposed to be the head of your house. You're supposed to be, in the Christian life, as focused on the spiritual war, you're to be like a single man is. That is, uninfluenced by the cares of this world, especially those things that your wife brings up. Here we have wonderful lessons. Wish we'd learned them. 